Welcome to another powerful message from One Life OK. We really hope you enjoy it. You know, I was listening to what Lenny talked about on Sunday, and she mentioned three things, builders, priests, and worshipers. You know, one of the things that we prayed about on Tuesday was just a spirit of distraction um, to be loosed, I guess, if you will, from having so much effect on us. And um, I feel like that His presence is just so strong in the room right now, I just, I just know that he's wanting to do something really mighty. And um, sometimes I don't think that we have an understanding of all that is on his heart to be and to give to us. I feel like I've just sort of tapped into it a little bit in my lifetime, but it's so immeasurable. And I think I I sort of ache um, for us to walk into a fullness that is available. It's kind of, um, I don't want to spend my life not experiencing all the goodness that he has, I feel like that would just be devastating personally to spend my life not experiencing all that he has. And so, you know, I'm a really, really practical person. And, you know, I remember years ago, um, I kind of came from sort of a generation and maybe even um, a movement, if you will, in the spirit where um, we weren't equipped to do life relationally very well. And so a lot of, I think, ministers and pastors were not extremely relational. And so they they put everything they had into the ministry because they didn't really understand how to balance things. And so I used to say this, that it it does God no favors for us to be really anointed acting, but everybody at home don't even know our name. We're not good at home. And so, you know, part of my calling in life is is to help you be really practical to do life well all the time in all the ways and you know relationships are really a huge part of our lives and sometimes we become so fixated on finding significance that we forget to um develop deepness in relationships i'm sure some of y'all were parented by people who um 
we we tend to focus on one thing that we're it's, it becomes a comfort zone if you will and we're sort of uh, stalled out in our growth because of different belief systems and you know i think without christy knowing it i think she goes after a bunch of sacred cows and she she doesn't know the way it happens for her is just so unique i think i i become enamored by sort of the struggle that she goes through to deliver such an impactful revelatory word that i i've never seen anything like it you know and so sometimes i i i think i sort of watch the struggle and then i sort of it's hard for me to see um why it's such a struggle for her because i because i read the word i'm thinking i would just be um i would be excited if god spoke to me in this way but it can be kind of weighty on her and so this word is extremely weighty and so she does her little disclaimer thing with me where she says you know it's really long and i don't understand it all and i it doesn't all make sense to me and and so I'm saying all of this preliminarily because I think reluctantly I've, I have told her that she has to deliver this word. So, um, but I'm just wanting to set it up a little bit. I promised her I would, I would stay up here and help her out a little bit. But part of what um, God is doing right now is, you know, when Lynn comes as a prophet and says, okay, this now is what God's focusing on. You know, I know when God was speaking to her about that word about Zerubbabel, you know, um, it can mess her up because once she delivers the word, it's just kind of like God begins to shift some things. It's, there's something about releasing out of us and all who, all my little prophets in here, you have to understand this, that the word is not meant for you to internalize it the word is meant for it to go out and accomplish something and so anytime that you take a prophetic calling and you internalize it you're already prostituting the gift honestly you're already trying to make the gift do something for you that that word is meant to do for somebody else. And so let me just give you as part of the training I'm going to eventually do, I keep threatening to do School of the Prophets, but that I'm going to do eventually because we have to realize um, God does nothing on the earth without first telling the prophets, you know, and the prophetic operates in different people, different ways. We have great indicators and examples of them here you know pam is a prophetic intercessor so he tells her everything first but you know if she and she can readily admit this i'm sure if she gets out of her sweet intercessory spot the weight of the world seems weighty and so and that happens in the prophetic because we our, we measure our words by the wrong thing sometimes. We measure it sometimes by time. We measure it by how we feel. Yeah. We measure it by whether there's a confirmation, you know, and you can't do that. That's not, you're not going to be a good prophet when you do that. You're already out of your place immediately. And, um, 
you know, Cheryl, I was up here last night and and she sent me um, a text and she was, what happened was I, on, um, I think it was Monday night. Um, yeah, it had to have been Monday night. I, mean, I don't think it was Sunday. I think it was Monday. I thought I would just, I usually listen to Bill while I go to sleep, but I usually listen to him on a podcast, but I decided I'd try to go on the website and see if he had preached on Sunday because I didn't know if he had preached or not. And so sure enough, he had preached Sunday morning. And so when I started listening to him, I just remember I said out loud, I think that, oh gosh, he's talking about the same thing I talked about last Sunday. And he was talking about authority in, in this really good message. You should listen to it too. But, you know, one of the things we have to remember is that, um, you know, we we need to take on the mission of the house that God's put us in with all diligence. That's why Lynn was trying to describe, you know, basically the DNA of one life. It's not, it's got to become um, your life's calling to balance how you manage what God's entrusted to you. So, you know, he's entrusted you relationships um, and and he's entrusted to you a family, a culture that that you are to steward well. And so what happens is when we um, take old mindsets, it'd be no different than I, if I took all the old ways of the prophetic that I was raised in and I tried to recreate them in everyone here. See, I had to learn from what happened then to not recreate it, right? It's the same way with worship, you know? And so we have certain DNAs of a culture that we are trying to steward. I, I like Christy, she was saying to me earlier, you know, there's somebody in the room that she wishes could do, could read her words in a spoken word version, you know? And 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 I I just think that, you know, God puts those things on our hearts you know, because that's something that he has awaiting us, you know, it's like, it's kind of like, you know, he stirs something in, in our hearts about something and it's not yet happening. And see, as prophetic people, we have to remember that he tells us something in advance and a, a good prophet's really patient. And a good prophet knows that the way that they, when they speak a word out, the way that they think, you know, we all create an immediate expectation or immediate viewpoint of how it's going to happen. A good prophet knows that that's probably not it. It's too small. See, because otherwise, as prophetic people, we put effort toward something that um, is our own personal ceiling and God doesn't have a ceiling. So I'm just kind of admonishing you here for a minute while I'm thinking about what else I'm going to say. Um, but I, I, I felt like tonight that, um, Oh, I made a little, the very last one that's kind of in purple. I'm, I'm, was reading something this week and I found this little slide that I wanted to talk to us about and it goes along strangely with Christie's words so and one of the things in life 
Isn't it nice to have another monitor over there so you don't have to look over my head? One of the things in life that we, um, we're not good at is understanding what real needs are. And so then we create um, pseudo versions of what what you'll never get away from in your life, which is real needs. A real need is not a hamburger. It's not sex. It's not a Dr. Pepper. It's not a pair of shoes. I'm trying to touch on all of our stuff. It's not. It's not perfect children. Those are not real needs, you know. And so what happens is that we're all orphans, you know. And um, I think, you know, Kay talked about it on Sunday about the dream that she had. It's a good example of it that God has an abundance, but we act like we need to steal relationally from people. Yes. And so we end up having uh, really crappy relationships, honestly. That's what we do. And we begin to have a reputation that will do anything for an unmet need. We'll jeopardize callings, relationships, jobs, money, all kinds of stuff for uh, an unmet need, which is a false need you know it's interesting uh shooty was telling me in the green room that tessa actually dreamed christy's word now tessa doesn't know it yet but when christy reads the word and they were trying to figure out what tessa's dream means and see that's the cool thing is that tessa didn't couldn't know don't you love god don't you love god and see he wants he wants us to get so used to just how he speaks to us that it doesn't even have to make sense to us See, we're so stuck on that God needs to make sense. How in the world could he? Really, how in the world, if you really surrendered your life and you really said, I'm going to be used by you, how would anything he asked you to do make sense to you up front? Trust me, half I got up here tonight, nothing made sense to me. Nothing still makes sense to me right now. I'm just meandering around, but I know that by the end of tonight, people are going to be on their face getting freedom. I just know that. And so you have to know what his MO is, what his motive is up front. His motive is to free you to what? To be free to be you. The real you, not the altered, partially not injured, maybe a little bit more healed thing you can muster up in your own strength and figure out in your own will, self. That None of that's him. And so, you know, Chrissy, I keep, you know, she loves it when I talk about her this way. But, you know, I think Colleen probably knows more than anyone what a difference that Christy is because she's known her for longer than any of us have known her. And I'm sure it's probably similar to Pam and I's experience that I know I'm not anything like I used to be with Pam. And, you know, she says Pam's my greatest cheerleader. And... (laughs) She says to me a lot, you're nothing like you when I first met you. That's a good thing yes. for me. I was awesome then, but. <laughs> see, see, I can make us laugh and then we don't cry anymore. 
but part of what I think her word answers is this little slide. And I got this from, um, oh, what are their names? Um, Steve and Lorraine Box. I don't know who they are, but Steve Backlund knows them, so that means that we know them. Um, anyway, and they made this little this statement, an unmet need equals frustration. And see, here's the thing. When we make up needs that are not real needs, see, unmet needs that are real needs lead to frustration. Guess what made-up needs lead to? I mean, complete chaos and manipulation. And see, we're so weird, and Christy's word is going to deal with this, we would rather manipulate than walk in power. Can I tell you, that is the exchange that's going to come down tonight. Do you want to walk in manipulation or do you walk in power? And I hope some of y'all right now feel extremely uncomfortable and convicted because God wants to set you free and you're hanging on to something that makes you totally bound and acting like you're good. And see, that would be a problem to me. Wouldn't it be? And so it obviously leads to frustration. So frustration plus time. So that means it keeps going on. Like, I know this is happening for some of y'all because you were raised in an orphan mentality and the only, think about what orphans do. Kay's dream said it really good. Kate talked about it, right? Yeah. You know, Heidi Baker mentioned it, how when she takes in orphans, right? She's got a whole refrigerator full pop, I think she said, and they would stick it in their ratty little clothes. Can you see them? Can you see them? That's what we look like. That's what we look like. God is a God of abundance. And we act like we have to steal something relationally, especially from each other. When actually, this is what I want you to understand. God sets up a family that will give to you the things that you're, the place that you thought was going to give it to you couldn't give it if you'll open your eyes to it. It's going to look different. You know, whenever God does that for you, you keep waiting for it all to blow up because everything always has blown up. I've had this conversation today where I was telling somebody, listen, this is not going to blow up. You're not going to come one day and Teresa just said, we're closing down one life. See y'all later. It's just not going to happen. Not till I die. Okay. I'll be coming up here in my wheelchair if I have to. It's just because I have a fire within me that I have to get it out until I die. You have to understand it's not for you. I will burn up. I will internally combust. And see, that's what you understand. That's what God wants to do in you. He wants to have a fire burning in you so bad that you will combust. If you don't release it, if you don't find a way to release who you are in your passion, you will internally combust. And tonight, He is actually going to release us into more ministry with Him. And He wants us to get this right. You do have some needs within you. You do have things He put in you. And guess what? He has an answer to all those things. So you don't live in frustration and anger. But see, that's what that little package is what ends up happening right there. It turns to anger anger and, and we it's not dealt with, right? It that's what it, it ends up doing. Because we didn't deal with it, it ends up it comes up, right? And then we turn it turns to desperation. What does desperation look like on human beings? It's just so ugly. 
Because the people around you are like, you're, you're desperate for a pop and the whole fridge is full of pop. Because we've reduced our life down to a simple thing, as probably an addiction, that we need to fulfill. And we act, call that an unmet need. See, and you have to understand, we, those are things we have to repent from. They're never going to get met. And, and we'll keep reducing our life and reducing our life and reducing our life because we don't want anybody to speak into it until nobody's speaking into it. And we're making all kinds of random, isolated, independent decisions, and we're calling them success. So then, you know, in that desperation things, we say and do things we regret. And hopefully we have a mentor that says, really? Right? Is that what you want to be doing right here? Which leads to devastation because it's a cycle. Right? And so, come on, Mendel. Let's wing it. And so... Awesome. I love winging it. <laughs> so um, I just kind of wanted her to start reading, and, and then we're going to discuss it a little bit. But just remember that how how it all comes about, and you know, young prophetic people can really learn from from her. How it rolls out is not just a clear cut. Christy, get up, go sit in your little spot. You know, and I'm going to give you a download today. She's, I actually, on this day, I said, listen, you've got to go get in your spot. <laughs> and you've got to sit there and wait on him. You've got to position your heart. And, you know, she was laughing, telling me later, she said, I didn't really do what you said at first. <laughs> and I tried to do something else. And then that didn't, that, of course, you know, led to frustration because, <laughs> Because see, the need within her that God put within her is to speak for him, is to write for him. And she's not going to find, she's not going to get that need met any other way until she actually gets a, a download from him. So that's what kind of happened this day. Yeah. And so, I know you like this really big, don't you? Like that? No? Yeah, you did right it another there. way. Oh, right here. Yeah, there. There we go. So anyway, you want me to stay up here, right? Yes. Okay. Yes, so I can't set this up because I don't know the punchline. So <laughs> I felt like there were lots of punchlines. So like she said, we'll just meander. So as she said, I just woke up feeling weird. And I am. this is my bare bones, my very vulnerable process. So once I finally did do what she said, this is what I started writing. Okay, and that's my part of my process. One of my processes with him. So I just said, Papa, Papa, Papa. <laughs> what is this weighing on me where did my joy go what has come in and covered my emotions in this way i don't know what to do or say what is needed to resolve this today what is on your heart what is this emotion is it something i'm sensing from someone else or is it you is it me is it something you want me to see or is it a trap from the enemy i feel weighed down without a fight in me. I feel passionless, resigned to lay down and just let it be. I feel a sadness in me. I feel tears that if they had just a little more gumption would rise up in me. 
but even they feel too weak and disconnected to show up on the scene. What is this? Why does it come in like this? What am I supposed to do? I have a scar on my hand to match one in yours. I have a covenant with you, Jesus. That means that what I have is yours and what you have is mine. That means that you have sworn to give me all I need and I know that you have it all. My belief has not changed. It's my hope that seems lacking, my outlook. I know that you are the one true king. I know that you are the one and only, the only one I will serve, the only one I love, the one I have given my whole life to, the one I can't wait to spend eternity with. I want to say something right there. Okay. So this is just a good training exercise for all mm -hmm. of you who are prophetic people. You know, I think uh, Tessa processes similarly to Christy, but, um, you know, one of the things I've been trying to help her with is to just say up front all the stuff that seems to be weighing her down because used to she would try to figure out what it was weighing her down and was it did it come from here did it come from there did it come from the north did it come from the south did it come from the east did it come from you know she spent all she spent a lot of time i mean hours working through that and i'd be like listen you don't have to do that whole process and this is really good for all you who could process this way because once you begin to just dialogue with him and you just start saying it out why it feels like this it feels like this it feels like that why is it this way that process for her and i think it's true for all prophetic people would begin to release because he because the thing he's trying if you think about it, the thing he's trying to say is it says from your innermost being will flow rivers mm -hmm. so that means there's something that has stuffed it down yes. agreed yeah. yes. and so this process of just getting that out you know and, she, and she, honestly the same thing happens with her if she'll just discuss it with me it will happen yeah. the same way but i don't know what it is about introverts they're very weird they don't want to talk about stuff. They act like that it's the problem, but it's actually the, think of it like, you know, when the toilet's clogged and you got to plunge it, it's pushing that yucky out to really get to the good stuff. And so this is the process she does. She doesn't always read this first process, but I had to read it tonight because I just think it's a good training tool. And because I think God's trying to move us out of this immature state where we spend, it, it really was this immaturity that she spent so much time trying to figure out where it came from. That, that it spent, uh, she spent days sometimes, and then finally the thing would come out, you know. Yeah. And so, anyway, she's doing this a little bit different now, and so I think it's really, really a good, really good. Yeah, it's true. I do. I find myself writing, and I'll find. I'm first. I'm just uncovering stuff. I'm when I say it mm -hmm. or write it, you know, it just. It's like lifts it off and gets it out there. It throws it out in the pile, like she says, mm -hmm. kind of so it can be sorted like laundry. And then I'll find myself saying something. Um, and a lot of times I find myself saying, like I started to do already at this point, truth that I know. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And so I know right. like, well, my belief didn't change. I know my belief didn't change. Even though I feel this way, I know my belief didn't change. So right. I start even speaking truth to myself. But it's really just it's just what's coming out, mm -hmm. you know. And so she it's did. it's um, it is a, a really cathartic type of process, mm -hmm. I guess. And then eventually he'll start showing me something else mm -hmm. and I'm, I find myself writing about it and it's almost like I look like look at what I wrote. And I'm like, oh, that's interesting. Mm -hmm. And then we go deeper with that, you know. Mm -hmm. So I'll carry that's on. That's good. 
So I said, I know that you tend to my garden at night and that you find great delight in what grows there after all your tender loving care. I know that you call me your private paradise and that you and I have a special relationship that is only the beginning of all that is to come, of all that you have planned for us. I know that you have called me into a divine romance with you, that you beckoned me, that you heard my cries and prayers for you, that you knew my heart before I knew yours, that you saw my devotion and the purity of my love that was burning within me to find its home and its target. You knew how lost I was, but you knew that a well lay deep within me of pure love for you. You knew I hungered for someone worthy to worship and be devoted to, someone to tie my passion to, to say that I'd give it all for. You knew, you knew more than I did. And so you breathed on the tiny flame within me, the one still lit, barely, but still possessing a measure of light. You knew I had a fight in me, one that would stand up for what was right. You knew that I felt that I felt securely fastened to doing what was right, even from a young age, mm -hmm. that there was something within me that was willing to stand for it, to fight for it, to be the only one standing, if that's what it took. There was a fight in me that said it was all worth it to stand for what was right, for what was honest and true and pure, for what was tied to something or someone so loyal that it was the only response worth considering. I knew there was a loyalty that existed and called my name. It was as if something, there, it was, there was something calling me that was worthy of my loyalty. This is where it started to get interesting. We're like, what are we talking about right now? This is, wow, this is interesting. So I said, um, I'm still writing here. I said, perhaps loyalty itself seemed so inviting, so beautiful and strong. Loyalty, loyalty, <laughs> loyalty. I longed for someone or something to be loyal to to be locked in, to be devoted at the very core of me. Mm -hmm. Something I could stand for and speak of and stand by. Loyalty, I believe, was always a beautiful thing to me. Why is that? What is it about loyalty that I found so appealing, even from a young age? I suspect that I saw weakness all around me. I suspect I saw fault lines in the relationships around me. I suspect I saw weak bonds instead of strong ones. Mm -hmm. I saw and felt and experienced people building on weak bonds. They held for a moment in time, but they would never hold to the pressures of life. Somehow I knew there was something stronger, something that lasted longer, something that made for solid foundations. Loyalty would exist in a bond like that. Loyalty would exist in something made from purity. Mm -hmm. Something the opposite of faulty for once. Something that would actually stay standing and not collapse. Loyalty. 
Was it just a romantic notion? Was it just a fantasy, loyalty? My experience in the world could easily concede to this, except for one thing, Jesus. Jesus, you didn't collapse under the weight of it all. You didn't give in, even under the weight of all of the world's sin. You paid a price that I felt within, a price that I felt resonate within me at the mention of all you did for me. I knew I knew it was true. I knew that you were the one who said it was possible, who said it wasn't a fantasy, who said and proved that it wasn't just a romantic notion, but that real romance was your desire too. The romance of fantasy was a knockoff of your original love and loyalty. It became fantasy because people thought they could be you. People thought this romance could exist between two people without you. They took you out of the equation and were shocked at the results. Only they didn't mind selling the lie. They sold it over and over and over again, and humanity bought into it as some sort of master plan. If you didn't participate or didn't believe, then you were some sort of oddity. Romantic relationship became generations deity. Generations plural, plural. Romantic relationships became generations deity. It was the only goal. Find a guy, find a girl, get married. It was the suggested path to fulfillment and joy. Mm -hmm. It was set up as the gold standard of success. It was set up to be the main goal in life. And once you'd done that, you just created more human beings so they could do the same. (laughs) So aunts and uncles and grandparents could put pressure on the next generation to find this holy grail of romance that was only a shell. So how far reaching did this teaching go? It seeped into the very nature of culture, Mm -hmm. into the very fabric of our definitions. In every culture, in every country, this holy grail of romantic fantasy was exalted generation after generation. All the while it was a sham, destined to fail, destined not to deliver, destined to breed disappointment and discouragement. Then, when the notion of true romance with a king, with deity, is mentioned, it was called the sham, a scam, and the ultimate fantasy. Mm -hmm. If you bought into it, you were living on the edge of some fringy reality. You were walking the line accused of buying into a lie. If you dared live in devotion to allow true loyalty to rise to the surface, you're accused of betrayal. And that struck a chord with me. I think I'll pause there for just a minute to add that this is where it's, I mean, this is unveiling stuff all along for me, but for me personally, I was like, oh, wait a minute, my passion for loyalty and Mm -hmm. in my early life even is directly related to what Mm -hmm. the enemy tries to accuse me of now, Mm -hmm. that I've betrayed people. Mm -hmm. 
And so, but because the enemy flipped this, you know, he said it, he flipped things around so that made the goal to be in romantic relationship with a person and it made you and called you a fool if you engaged in a committed romantic relationship with King Jesus. And so then when you when you become loyal to him, then people accuse you of betraying them. It's like, well, that, you know, wow. It's true. So if you dared live in devotion to allow true loyalty to arise in this true relationship, right. true love relationship with the true origin of love, then you're accused of betraying. So I said, how ironic, how backwards it truly is. My longing for loyalty, true loyalty, led to me being accused of betrayal. I guess that's how it happens. I guess that's exactly the enemy's plan. Right. If he can swap right with wrong, up with down, then all that follows, no matter how far down the line, no matter how many times and ways it plays out, it will always be upside down. Right. Upside down, inside out, right called wrong, truth called lies, justice called injustice, mm -hmm. loyalty called betrayal. How convenient for those who'd rather manipulate than live in any true power. How convenient. How convenient for those who'd rather manipulate than live in any true power. And they've got the entire culture to back them up in their manipulation. Right. Because up is called down, down's called up, right is called wrong, wrong's called right. Mm -hmm. So being loyal to something is be called betrayal, mm -hmm. right? You know, yeah. so it's so convenient, yeah. so convenient for them. Mm -hmm. So I think one of the other points that I was catching from this, and just in case you didn't catch it, is that the enemy's been switching our definitions for a really long time mm -hmm. yeah. and calling up, down, down, up. So that even mm -hmm. early in life, I mean, I have distinct memories, and I think it talks about it a little bit later in what I wrote, but distinct memories of certain things about being loyal to truth and standing up for justice and all of that kind of thing early in life mm -hmm. that I knew was must have been driving me. But all of the definitions of about what loyalty was or what um, all of these, you know, what humility was, what sacrifice was, what, you know, what all of the definitions between now over you know 40 something years have so many of them have been flipped upside down right that now when i'm actually pursuing the thing i'm meant to be pursuing right that god put in me to begin with then i can be accused of something and, and it actually think that i'm doing it right you know so being accused of betraying actually really knocks the wind out of me because i'm so passionate about loyalty right, right. Yes. So that's such a sucker punch and such a convenient mm -hmm. tool for the enemy to use right. because it's the one thing that I didn't even know that was at my right. core, that I was going to be loyal to something that was so, so incredible, you know, right. that's really that good. I was going to be devoted mm -hmm. and loyal. So then, but if you don't recognize that your definitions have been switched, that the enemy's been sort of switching this all along, then you won't even connect the two. Right. And so I think that's why I was feeling so 
the way I was at the beginning of this. So right. weighed down is because I didn't even know, I didn't mm -hmm. even recognize the sucker punch hit directly on the heart of my passion for, yeah. for God. That's it. Because I, they didn't even, I didn't see that it was connected because yeah. so many definitions have been off. Yeah. So. Really good. Um, do you want me to keep going for yeah. now? Do you have anything yeah. else to say on that? Yeah, no, it's good. Okay. Well, I mean, I could say something all the time, but keep going. Okay. Jump in anytime. So I said, Papa, help me to find my footing when they accuse me of the opposite of what I'm doing. No wonder we have to be taught and yeah. retrained in the ways of the kingdom of God when we come to know you and truly want to walk in your power and freedom. No wonder we have to be told that the things of the kingdom of God, of God are upside down. In reality, it's right. the world that's upside down. His ways are always right side up. They're upright and they're right. So our time spent in the world was spent living upside down. Always trying to turn wrong things to right, but being upside down ourselves the whole time. Always trying to turn wrong things to right, but being upside down ourselves the whole time. Can anybody else relate to that? I mean, that just sums it up really well to me. That's good. <laughs> so I said, Papa, what more can you tell me about this today? Am I catching what you're saying? Tell me more in your own words. Mm -hmm. And so he said, daughter or son, your definitions have bad programming. Mm -hmm. You were programmed to believe the lie is truth. This entangles you as you walk with me. You confuse the lies with truth. Your passion to live for me, with me, drives you, but then you see a crossing over of what should be, according to your wrong definitions. Right. He said, let's take sacrifice, for example. He said, I modeled the perfect sacrifice. Mm -hmm. It was unto something, unto the main thing. Mm -hmm. It was unto me. Sacrifice on its own, apart from me, is unto what? Unto the enemy? Unto some other person's agenda? What right. is the sacrifice unto? Sacrifice is not in and of itself holy. So good. And see, this, this hits home for me because I was taught and I was modeled that a loving person sacrifices. They, that's what you do. You sacrifice. So sacrifice is not in and, uh, in and of itself holy. Sacrifices have been made to idols, to false gods. The act of sacrificial living isn't holy. If... It is sacrificing to something unholy. <laughs> so your family taught you that humility meant sacrificing yourself for others. Humility is a true godly trait, but was their definition of humility, of being humble, the same as mine? No, it was off also. So a wrong definition of humility supported a wrong practice of sacrifice. Right. Sacrificing your life for someone else is only a holy act 
if you are sacrificing unto something or someone holy. Sacrificing your life for the purpose of reconnecting children safely with their father is holy. Sacrificing your life so that someone can continue to run down a selfish, self-serving, unhealthy road is not sacrificing unto something holy. We like that. We like that. Yes. So sacrificing yourself, your needs, your own safety, your own health, so that someone's dysfunction can be reinforced over and over and over and over again is not a holy sacrifice. (laughs) Laying yourself down like that is not an act of humility. It's an act of powerlessness Mm -hmm. and a lack of protection, a lack of love, and it's a lack of stewardship. I'll say something right here. Okay. <laughs> well, I think I think it's really good what Papa's saying because I think that what happens is that our emotions get caught up in these wrong definitions, and it actually is what he's been speaking to us. It takes time, money, and energy. So it actually siphons and sucks all the time, money, energy out of our lives, and we never actually connect where God's planted us to fulfill a purpose. And it's just a perfect um, attempt of the enemy. And, and, and like she said, the enemy always targets a previous injury. Mm-hmm. You know? And so it's the same. I, I mean, like, it wouldn't mean for someone, the thing that she has, that she experiences about betrayal, you know, I don't have that, you know, because I have zero of that. So it doesn't affect me. I have other things that affects me. And see, that's the thing about... God wants us to educate ourselves in the supernatural so much because he wants us to see the tactics of the enemy that suck and siphon so much time and so much of our energy trying to get a need met by another person that is never going to happen that way, all because of these reasons. Can you see it clearly? Yes. Yes. So good. So Papa said, I want you to build up your right definitions Mm -hmm. while I untangle your wrong ones. Mm -hmm. He he said, wouldn't you say you've spent more time thinking about betrayal than loyalty? Which word Mm -hmm. actually has more airtime? Betrayal. Mm -hmm. What about loyalty? Before today, did you spend time thinking about how loyal you are? Mm-hmm. about how loyal you've been to me? Mm-hmm. Have you laid in bed reviewing all the choices you made to remain loyal to true love? Have you spent time thinking about how you fought to stay connected to true love, to what is right, holy, pure, and godly? You elevate your memory of standing up for your friend, a bullied first grader, more than all the times and ways you've stood for me, for truth. So this ought not be. Wow. So she's talking about an experience that she had. Tell that story. So interestingly, you've heard Tisa mention my first grade experience where I had this encounter with this teacher that I didn't like. And I I didn't I didn't learn until I was 40 something, I think. Mm -hmm. And Tisa told me, oh, I think that was your spiritual gift and operation. You know, that there was I was sensing something. And so I was very determined to get away from that teacher and say, this isn't right. 
this isn't right. And so I went on this whole thing. It was kind of a long, uh, kind of a long story, but the determination that a six-year-old would show, it was really crazy in hindsight, um, how determined I was to stand by what I felt. But eventually that kind of got broken because my parents didn't understand what was going on. And so I was punished and they withdrew their connection from me and everything until I finally conceded and, and agreed to go back to school basically. And so from that moment on, something just got broken in that moment. Mm -hmm. And um, I've known it my whole life that something got broken there. Well, my parents narrative of that because you know they were trying to help me and they took me to a counselor and they said well you just went through too much change and you um this was too much emotionally for you so basically you're too sensitive and you're you're too emotional and you're too weak to handle these changes in life and so that's the explanation that I was told okay so that makes instead of me feeling like I was a powerful you know, fiercely, like for weeks on end, a six-year-old insisting something's not right, something's not right. You know, that's that's a display of somebody that's powerful and has some determination and all that. You know, but instead of that, I was told, "Well, you're just too weak and you're you're too emotional." And so I had this. I was told that I was weak. But then I had this other experience just the same year later on because I did go back to school. And that this other girl in my class was being bullied, basically. We didn't know that word back then, you know, but <laughs> now you'd call it being bullied. And I knew it wasn't right. And so it's always been weird to me because my supposed weak, little, scared, little self sitting in first grade, that's what my identity was, I was told, decided I was going to stand up and fight those bullies. And so this is like the conflict. So I, I have all these memories of how I defended that girl. And I was just like, draw a line in the sand. Like you will not, you know, bully her. And for like the next three years, I literally got in physical fights and everything with these girls that were bullying this girl. And I, I would fight, fight, fight for her to not be bullied. And so that memory has always been this sort of conflict with the first memory that I, I was told, well, you must just be really weak and powerful. And so that one memory that I stood up for the bullied girls has re resonated within me for all these years that, well, no, I must, that that's being loyal and being fighting for justice. So I must have that in me. That's what he's talking about here. And so he was saying, you've elevated that story above all the times that I was loyal for him in my lifetime. So he goes on to say the only reason those old stories hold so much weight is because they still fit with the narrative of the world. This is just a whole nother interesting point, okay? Stay with us. <laughs> he said, even the world could get behind stand someone standing up for a crying little girl in first grade. So even the world could get behind someone standing up for a crying little girl in first grade, right? The enemy loves to agree with you up to a certain point. <laughs> the enemy will go along with you running parallel to your every move up to a certain point. He's, Papa said, my children make mistake this for confirmation of doing the right thing. 
they grow accustomed to having the support of me and the world. They grow accustomed to the emotional high of their friends and family supporting them and cheering them on. They grow accustomed to progress without opposition. It's the tactic of the enemy to allow exactly that to happen. All he has to do then, at whatever time he feels is most opportune, is to pull on that one little string. A single string. A sudden parting of ways between my way, speaking of Papa, and the world's way, sends shockwaves through what felt like a well-oiled machine. Suddenly you're not sure. Suddenly you're confused. Suddenly you don't know which way is up and which way is down. Suddenly you don't know how to move forward because your perspective has been threaded with false definitions. Suddenly it doesn't make sense. Suddenly you're conflicted and confused. How do I move forward with what I thought was godly when my definition is saying go left and God is saying go right? What then? Okay, so he used that story for me to just launch into this whole other perspective. So I'm going to take just a minute to explain what I think he's saying there. So if you think, just like the example of loyalty and betrayal, I'm, what happens for me is I'm going along and all of my definitions, even the wrong ones, are running parallel to what I'm doing for God. So I'm, I'm moving along. I don't know there's opposition because the enemy is it's like he worded it really well here will go along with you running parallel to you up to a certain point and so then when you're running along you're running along you've got a, a lot of momentum going and then all of a sudden the enemy will say yep i haven't really agreed with you that whole time and he'll pull on that string so let's just use he'll pull on the string of what's your your um, definition of sacrifice let's go with that one okay and what in humility so in my mind before being healed of this, okay, I'm being loyal to God, and of course I'm humble, and of course I'm sacrificing. But my definitions of humble, being humble, and being self-sacrificing are a little bit off. So all the enemy has to do is pull on that string, and now my parallel road is now perpendicular to what I was doing. Because my definition of sacrifice says, well, I should lay down what's good for me, and I should, you know, do all of these other things that while a real humble person would lay down their own purpose, their own passions, their own health for someone else, according to those wrong definitions. But, but at, at that moment in time, in my mind, I think they're all godly. They're good, but I've got one ski going right and one ski going forward. And if you've ever been on skis, you can't go anywhere like that. So, so that all of a sudden, that's where I can, I can get. That's why I felt the way I did that morning is because all of a sudden I'm running along, running along. And all of a sudden I'm like, wait a minute, this doesn't make sense. It's almost as if God is saying, well, go straight, but also go right. And I can't do both. So what do I do in that moment? But if I don't understand that this is the enemy's tactic, that this was the enemy's tactic to embed a wrong definition in my mindset 40 years ago or something, so that 40 years down the road, he could pull on that string and I would suddenly be tripped up and everything would come to a screeching halt in that moment. You're paralyzed. And that's why I'm sitting there thinking, I don't know what, I don't feel like 
I have a fight in me. I just want to lay here and let things happen. I don't, that's why it's all, if you revisit the beginning of the word, that's why I felt that way. It was because I didn't, didn't even make sense to me what was happening. I, cause I didn't even recognize the opposition for what it really was. And so you can ask Tisa, I'll be cruising along just great. And then all of a sudden I'm like, well, I'm confused and I feel conflicted and I feel like I can't go forward and I can't go right or left and I'm frozen. I'm paralyzed. And so we were talking about one of the ways the enemy is so, so strategic that he would embed something like that and go along in agreement. Just think for 40 something years, I could go along with a bad definition of what humility and betrayal or self-sacrificing is and I could go along because it's more beneficial to the enemy to wait until I've got really good momentum to pull on that string because if he pulls on it now I'm going to fall a lot harder because I'm moving faster and I'm gaining more ground and all of a sudden nothing makes any sense so I'm less likely to get back up after being tripped up then than if he just confronted me when I was eight I would have been like, meh, whatever, you know, brush it off. I'm eight. You know, the cost isn't that high when you're eight. You don't fall as hard when you're eight. So I just thought the way that he said that, that was really good. The enemy will go along with you running parallel to to your every move up to a certain point. And so even the idea that it's a, to me, it's a two part message there that we can mistake the, that the way that feels where the enemy hasn't pulled on, pulled that card out yet that, you know, pulled on that string yet. And we could mistake the feeling of having no opposition for confirming that we're doing something right. And then when he pulls on that string and you get tripped up by your, you recognize you've got a wrong definition, then you, I just lost my train of thought. (laughs) Um, yeah, so then you think you're doing something wrong because it doesn't feel the way it did when you had no opposition. That's what I was going to say. So he just know the enemy will allow you to move forward. And I honestly, I didn't even tell Tisa this, but I heard Johnny Inlow talk about this recently, even about how there are people who are parts of um, demonic belief systems and churches and stuff like that, who they will do long-term infiltration plans to infiltrate churches, Christian churches and organizations with the intentions of being like a sleeper cell, basically. So that when, when it's most valuable to the enemy, then they can even, you know, throw, do whatever they're going to do, pull the plug. And, and now there's somebody internally you know, I mean, you can see it in the movies. It's the same stuff all they do, the, all the people do. So um, just think that the enemy uses that same strategy with us on a smaller scale. And so if you're running along and you get tripped up and all of a sudden you're not sure what's going on, it doesn't mean you weren't doing the right thing. It just means that or you had a wrong definition. You maybe had like this slide. You have an unmet need that you've been filling in a false way. Mm-hmm. There's all sorts of opportunities. Say something about that. So, I mean, think about you know God's perspective. This when He talks about renewing our minds so much, right? Think think about it. 
it wouldn't make sense, would it, that we completely step into the fulfillment of our destiny with an unrenewed mind, right? right? So we have to remember, how does God change our minds? You know, one of the things that's most interesting to me, I see it a lot in couples where they're on different pages the whole time. They don't even know it. Like whenever you first meet your spouses, if, you're not, if it's not godly, you just met on your lowest unmet need. You thought it was your highest unmet need, but it was actually your lowest unmet need. And then what begins to happen if someone gets truth, they begin to get truth on, wow, we're doing this fantasy version of a relationship. And so as that one person gets healing, the other person still is living from this unmet need place. And people get stuck there for 30 years. You know, I know people who, who were married for 30 years on that initial unmet, me, unmet yeah. need. And that's what she's trying to say. We have to become, we have to begin to change our mind and say, we have got to become educated on how the enemy uses these things in our life. And we have to go after them and repent from them just the same way we did that night with the religious spirit. Yeah. We're actually partnering with things because there's some sort of weird payoff for us with whoever we've recruited. So that's why I talked about a few weeks ago, you can't recruit somebody to stay a four and, and, and try to say, no, you're not a four, you're a five, you're a whole five. You know, it's, that's not even, we don't even want to engage in that. And none of that has anything to do with how, yes, I'm trying. That has nothing to do with the way God wants us to set up our relationships. And so, this might feel like it's over y'all's head, some of you, a little bit. But this is really a key to what God's going to do for us going forward. And think about it. If people are coming out of wrong mindsets, who better to help them than people who have correct definitions? Yes. And so that is that is why it's so imperative that we quit remaining stuck in truths that have been told to us over and over again because that limits who God can bring by your pathway. I know Chrissy used to say it to the girls all the time that, you know, I'm saving them 20 years because she knows for 20 years she was stuck. For 20 years someone told her that first grade experience was something else. You know, and, and told her for 40 years and, and told her, you know, something different about even Zach and what was wrong with him, you know. And so it, it took somebody coming in and saying, no, that is absolutely not true. That is absolutely not going on. That is absolutely not what happened to you. And, and you know, she went to a counselor for 10 years who kept telling her what that first great experience was. Well, she didn't experience the freedom she has now until somebody came along and said, that's not what happened. Yeah. And see, that's what we had to remember is the enemy doesn't want you to hear that, that that's not they. The enemy wants you to, to victimize yourself and to recruit people to help you stay a victim and recruit people and you probably married somebody, then that's probably what y'all did. Right. But then once you get freedom, you're like, wait, I don't, I don't even want to do that anymore. It's just so I just call it gross. That's just gross because I'm trying to get from a person who I can only get from God. So then what am I getting actually from them? You know, I'm actually getting pity. And that pity doesn't satisfy anybody's need. And so that's why it goes back to this unmet need is that if we don't get these definitions shored up, we will, we will force ourselves into this pattern right here. Yeah, mm-hmm. So good. It's true. So good. Okay. So here's the last little part. So Papa said, you can no longer rely on what felt like support before. You can no longer seek what felt like encouragement 
that well ran dry, which should tell you that even this, your definition interpret and interpretation of support, was tainted by the enemy. The enemy veered left while you were running along. He's been masquerading as someone on your team all the while knowing he was laying a trap for you once you'd gained enough steam. His goal was to make your tripping up painful enough and confusing enough that you won't get back up. He said, it's time you become acquainted with true encouragement and support. This is a great analogy. I love that he loves analogies like I do. He said, you've been running on an emergency spare tire this entire time. It's enough to do the trick, but you will feel every bump in the road along the way. Your travels won't be fueled in an efficient way, and you'll essentially feel like you're walking with a limp. It doesn't have to be this way. There is a strength in support and encouragement unlike any you've ever seen. Just imagine if the world bothers to create a perverted version of something, then the genuine must be pretty sweet. So he said, for now, let's start with the word loyalty. I want you to ponder on how loyal you've been to me. And this is, you know, this was the personal word that he gave me that you may have something else if you go on this journey with him. Think back about all the times you stood by me, all the times you refused to release your grasp on the truth you'd tasted, of all the efforts you went to in pursuit of the more of this one thing. Think about and redefine how loyal you've been. Then think of how much you love loyalty. Allow yourself to feel what it means to you, what it promises, how it excites, how it fuels and energizes you. Think of all that loyalty means and provides and how much it resonates with what you've always known inside. And so, again, that was just really important for me because, as was written earlier, he knew that I'd spent more time laying in bed thinking about, well, I sure hope I'm not betraying somebody you know, more, more, more effort and time and mental energy thinking about how to not be the thing I didn't want to be versus how much time I've meditated on and thought about how much I was the thing that he put in me to begin with. And so he's saying, this is how you start to switch and redefine and elevate. So for me, loyalty is one of those Think about how much I've always valued it. So I have to increase my awareness of how valuable loyalty is to me. And I'm talking about me being loyal, you know, in addition to being loyal, people being loyal to me and him being loyal to me, but how much I've wanted that, that I described earlier and how much that's always meant to be elevate, elevate that. And then also spend more time thinking on the ways I've actually been that instead of just being afraid of what I've not been. So well strangely enough tessa sent me a word during worship that i'm gonna have her close with because it goes perfectly along with a good closing for what we've just talked about here a little bit i want to really encourage you all that i feel like this is a is really on Papa's heart right now to bring us into a lot of freedom 
And so I encourage you to dialogue about it. We probably will talk about it in fire hubs as well. But, you know, one of my heart's desires is that we connect, you know, just like she said, your word may not be loyalty. It may not resonate with you, but don't throw out the whole word just because you get hung up on the one thing. And, you know, I think you need to really seek the Lord to say, because I believe He's such a good God. He makes our little package this way. Because I know that that is a real big trip up for her because people accuse her of that all the time. You know, I know what my trip up is because people have accused me of it a lot. And you know what yours is. And so if you could really dialogue with the Holy Spirit, and, and I would dialogue with your mentor, because the reason why it's so important is because without you knowing it, it keeps tripping you up, but you rewarded it with other words, but it's really the same thing every time. And so it comes down to an unmet need within you. And so see her unmet need was that she really had a spiritual gift in operation and someone punished her for it. And that sent her off for 40 years on a different road. Now that God's redeemed her, and she sings the songs of the redeemed. She sings a different song. She sounds different. She looks different. But guess who the people are that can't see it? And that's her great, you know, that's her greatest struggle right now is that she wants to convince them of what, and that's what we all do because our definition's wrong of who needs to know. And God says, the only one needs to know is me and you because I'm the one that called you to it. And I'm the one that redeemed you. And I'm the one setting you free. And I'm the one with the purpose. So when we can make that exchange, see, here's what we have to remember. Anything that we totally lay down and let him be something, he'll fill our lives with all the other somethings. You know, what we want to do is we don't want to let go of anything because we're afraid we won't get anything good. But But when you lay it down to him, then he fills your life with all good things. Come on, Tessa, and close it up. Sons and daughters arise. I hear you call out in the birthing pains of being born. The pressure as you emerge from one life into something completely new. I hear your cries. Make me new. Oh, daddy, I long to emerge new, triumphant, to shed this second skin I have lived in. Smallness no longer fits. And this expansion is characterized by a tangible discomfort with the norm. I'm crying out to break into new levels personally. I'm crying out to break from this cocoon which has formed on these once good things. I find myself outgrown for these ways nowadays. I'm longing to break out. I'm longing to be more. I'm longing to see your church fully grown. Daughter, tonight I am doing a new thing. Can you recognize it? Can you perceive this new day of destiny breaking forth around you? The bondage of your barren winter has ended. The rains have soaked the earth and left it bright with blossoming flowers. The time for singing and pruning the vines has come. I never prune vines that I find unworthy of being pruned. It is time to arise, to come alive into a new way of being. Even the physical will manifest with this upgrade. 
these new things I am calling you into being. So take hold. Are you ready to emerge? Are you ready to awaken? To arise? We cry out, I am ready. Take me to the new places you always destined for me to be. And uh, he gave me Colossians 3, 9 through 11 that says, Lay aside your old Adam self with its masquerade and disguise, for you have acquired new creation life, which is continually, 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 continually being renewed into the likeness of the one who created you giving you the full revelation of God. In this new creation life, your nationality makes no difference, nor your ethnicity, education, nor your economic status. They matter nothing, for it is Christ that means everything as he lives in every one of us. And the part about the uh, new destiny breaking forth is from uh, Song of Songs 2. It says, The one I love calls to me, Arise, my dearest. Hurry, my darling, come away with me. I have come as you have asked to draw you out to my heart and lead you out. For now is the time, my beautiful one. The season has changed. The bondage of your barren winter has ended, and the season of hiding is over and gone. The rains have soaked the earth and left it bright with blossoming flowers. The season for singing and pruning the vines has arrived. I hear the cooing of doves in our land, filling the air with songs to awaken you and guide you forth. Can you not discern this new day of destiny breaking forth around you? The early signs of my purposes and plans are bursting forth. The budding vines of new life are now blooming everywhere. The fragrance of their flowers whispers, there is change in the air. Arise, my love, my beautiful companion, and run with me to a higher place. For now is the time to arise and come away with me. For you are my dove hidden in the split open rock. It is I who took you and hid you up in high in the secret stairway of the sky. Let me see your radiant face and hear your sweet voice. How beautiful your eyes of worship and lovely your voice in prayer. So we just say, yes, we're ready to arise. We're ready to arise. Holy Spirit, I just ask that you would come and that you would help us arise, that you would help us to see this new day of destiny that's breaking forth. Help us to perceive it. We just say we're longing, we're longing, we're longing, we're longing to arise into a new expanded version of what you always meant for us to be. And so I just bless us tonight and I ask that you would just take these words and really unpack them for us. Daddy, I ask that you would really reveal what our loyalty is, what our uh, word is from you. I just speak a grace over this word that Christy gave. I just thank you that for what, what an amazing puzzle piece and key it is for us to move forward and to perceive where the enemy is trying to take us out and how you're actually wanting to bring us into something new. And so I just bless us tonight. Thank you, Daddy. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this message from One Life Okay. For more information, 
please visit us at onelifeok.com. <laughs>